This is Jim Chamarco. I work for a company called Harbor. I'm not particularly clear and sure why I got invited or if uh, this is the right meeting that I'm supposed to be in. And you're watching the Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes. We are revenue ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions, Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one and three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks five to seven, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week eight, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brent and say Big Pete sent you. We got some shout outs to do. Marina Hartung, new gig, senior manager, sourcing center of excellence at AMS. Madison Bristol, eight years at SecureDoc. Richard Castellini, oh my goodness, new gig, president at VONQ, Vonk. Ty Russell, three years at Cobalt Banker. Nicole Johnson, one year at Nielsen. Karen Liebowitz, one year at Eating Recovery Center. Nicholas Parisi, new gig, strategic account executive at Life Sciences at Salesforce. Jeff Cole, new gig, chief information officer at Workforce Software. Congrats. Jeff. Matt Grover, oh my goodness, promoted to President Digital at Recruitix. Jillian Alska, new gig, account executive at Salesforce. Eric Alvarez, new gig, RVP, Logicate. Pat Gleason, new gig, branch manager at Watco Companies. And of course, we have some happy birthdays. John Merku and Drew Mercer, another spin around the sun. Jim Tramarco, welcome to Sassholes. How you doing, JT? Jason, how you know JT? <laughs> JT and I work together. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we'll put it and all together. And he's still willing to come on. <laughs> he is. He is. I think he's he's having some second thoughts about right now. I think yeah, he's going to have. I think he's. This is usually when the when the uh, guest has internet difficulty. <laughs> well, I've got my own editing feature that I I, I might send over some uh, recommendations, but yeah, no, we're we're, we're still in motion. <laughs> so so, what was Outmatch? You guys worked together at Outmatch, and that turned into uh, Har- Harvard. What was Outmatch? So JT, Outmatch, why don't you pitch it? Yeah, yeah. So so Outmatch um, was primarily an assessment company. So working with both, you know, uh, you know, large and, and into the mid market and S and B market from an assessment standpoint and, and had a, um, you know, a, a vision to, to obviously do more and, um, ended up with say, you know, uh, some great investors that, that had a, you know, what, what they like to call is a lot of dry powder and, and wanted to get out into the M and a market and, you know, started working on some acquisition and, and ultimately um, Outmatch became and, and rebranded to uh, one of the companies that we acquired, which was called Harvard, not Harvard, but Harvard. And so Harvard really is focused in the in the large company segment, um, really working with 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 big companies to try to figure out, you know, what's the age old trade off between, you know, a quick hire or a quality hire. And, and um, you know, our presentation and, and we work with, um, you know, 1300 plus companies working on that, really, that you can do both things. So you can engage with them, you can hire and you can actually develop, you know, their th- that talent fast and, and fundamentally in a less biased way. And we do that with assessments, video interviewing, scheduling and reference checking. And you're a chief revenue officer? Yes, sir. Were you, don't call me, sir, I work for a living. Were you, yep. uh, was it? CRO a thing when you were over at Outmatch? Uh, they didn't give me that title, so I I think uh, so. I found my way into that. I started at uh, at Outmatch um, at the end of 2019 uh, as the the head of sales, so the CSO. 
And so I really was uh, had primary re responsibility around scale and growing the sales organization and, and uh, you know, really um, moving into enterprise. Um, and then as we continue to grow, um, like many scaling organizations, you start to think about either the alignment or the misalignment between sales, marketing, customer success, business development. And so now I have responsibility to, to, to help tie all those organizations and, and be used together. At, at Harvard, customer success is part of your org? So customer success, business development, and sales are all part of go-to-market. Yeah. And and is and customer success is like account managers and um and renewals and like what is what is all that? Oh we had we just had a conversation about CRO like you know a couple of shows ago. And so it's interesting to kind of dig in and hear what Yeah, so I I, I think fundamentally fundamentally at at the highest level, you the, the difference is the CRO has all revenue responsibility, right? Yeah. Yes, everything that you just mentioned from an account management, from a customer success standpoint, um, you know, renewal, focusing, you know, thinking about churn, thinking about expansion, upsell, cross-sell, in addition to, you know, the prospective market and, um, you know, you know, finding new logos and new, new customers, et cetera. What, what about uh, the channel and what about marketing? Where do they fit into the grand scheme? Yeah, with, with today at Harvard, uh, marketing is a, uh, you know, independent or separate function. So we have a, a chief marketing officer who is, you know, we're, we're tied at the hip and, and, and partners in crime. So we work on a daily basis uh, and our partner or, or channel strategy uh, is also um, segmented. So we, we have a, our, our head of strategy, you know, manages uh, our, our partner and channel strategy um, but again, it's it, it's they're they're so interlinked. Um, what you find is that, you know, in order to you know have you know uh, you know executives really spend the right amount of time and, and and really get deep in with key strategic partners and or key strategic marketing efforts, you really do need experts in that field. I'm not a marketing expert. Jason will you know attest to that. Um, I've, I've grown up within you know a, a channel and partner strategy in in many roles. Uh, but we have someone that 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 just does a, a tremendous job, you know, focused there. So I, I'm really spending all the time on on, on sales and, and account management and, and business development. And then what are you doing in terms of preparing your middle managers for what's to come? Uh, are you saying just from a, from a development standpoint as the, the organization grows? Yeah, or? but also psychologically and um, uh, having them think through uh you know how the market and the context in which their uh, people are having to sell into and their customers are buying and will change this past you know 6 months we really as an organization spent a, a significant amount of time on if anybody's been through really this this magic racy you yeah. know exercise right so it's literally looking at every role every business unit, every function within the organization, anything that would happen from a kind of market-facing or client-facing standpoint, and who has actual responsibility, who's accountable, who needs to be consulted, right? And, and you know, who just needs to be told, hey, this is this is happening, and, and now you're informed. And, you know, I, I, you know, I can remember, you know, earlier in my career when somebody said, hey, look, we, you, you really need to Put a race together and make sure people know like what to do and 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 what they're responsible for. And you say, well, I think everybody knows what to do. We're executing that client's thing, etc. As you continue to grow, it gets it can get messy really quickly. And you get um, people that are very interested and excited and motivated to work on insert either opportunity or challenge here. But then you get an immediate breakdown on who's supposed to actually deliver. So who's quarterbacking? The overall, you know, communication both internally and externally. So we we really spent a significant time making sure you know you know everyone was very clear on the race. And when I say significant amount of time, this is a four hundred list Christmas tree, you know, that's lit up with okay, if Jason's responsible for this, Marcus, you're in you're in yellow, you know, and Pete, you've got a different color. So in every scenario that could happen within the company, so we. You know, we spent a lot of time helping our teams develop by by understanding what they're supposed to do, 
And then the second part of it, I think what you're asking, um, we we make sure that we have um, sometimes weekly, if at a minimum, um, uh, monthly updates on kind of market conditions, what's what's happening out there, how does that directly influence or impact uh, what our customers are saying, what their needs are, and then ultimately, you know, how do we how do we make sure we're doing a better job at communicating our own value? Who who does that? Is it a combination of like the leadership team that does that, and everybody kind of speaks to their area, or is is that strategy exec tie all that up it's, into a presentation? Yeah, How does that our, work? It's pretty cool. Our 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 um, our chief strategy officer Oliver Stalin, who Jason, you might have some familiarity with. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, sure, sure. And all over well spends the time. Yeah, co you know, combing the market. It's it's um, you know understanding from the client's point of view what they're seeing. You know, we we have um, you know a, a, a great concentration you know of customers in both you know professional and you know hourly use cases, and that spans from you know the BPO and contact center world through hospitality, you know, into retail and then in, into professional services. Um, you know, so we're getting input from them and really working on listening on what are they seeing, what are they needing, and. You know, I'm sure everybody's kind of seen some of the same information that came out, you know, with the January jobs report. I mean, absolutely crushed market estimates, uh, you know, over 500,000, you know, payroll, non-farm payroll increase over 500,000. Unemployment's now at 3.4%, you know, with hospitality leading the charge of all sectors. So, you know, yeah. that it's it, it it's interesting when you look at that and, and you start to think about like the questions that that raises, which is, you know, can this a can can we sustain that level of growth just despite all these rumblings in the economy? And you know, the reality is there's still just this ton of pent up demand, um, you yeah. know, for workers in the marketplace. And but but then companies are struggling at the same time to staff appropriately. So it's almost too good to be true. It's um, it's yeah. it's interesting to look at. Well, how, how often are they struggling because the middle management layer manages to turn staff over so quickly? Um, you know, certainly within the tech space, we're seeing huge uh, turnover and big companies with five month tenure for um, you know, AEs on 90 to 150K uh, basics. Um, that's a very expensive um, hiring mistake to make. And when that's the norm, um, you really got to worry. So I, I would have thought you guys must be clicking your heels with glee. Yeah, it, Marcus, you're, you're spot on. I mean, there, there, there's, there'll be this never ending um focus on finding the right person right do they do they do they culturally fit do they do they have the right experience are they motivated in the right way you know and then, and then hopefully if you found the right person or at least that you you think you have the best chance you know with this person do you have the right onboarding are the right expectations laid out is it is it uh some somewhere between uh you know, realistic and optimistic, what you do from a goal setting standpoint, like literally, what are you expecting from that person in the first year and kind of, you know, standard SaaS metrics for any, at least for organizations that are, you know, selling in either the mid-market or the enterprise, you get this standard, well, what, what should you expect either to earn or sell? And the standard response is a million dollars. So you want me, you think I can make a million dollars and sell a million dollars? And the answer is yes, you can, you can do both. I mean, that's a standard answer when the reality is, and, and studies have come out and we've, we ran our own studies as, as we were looking at our own business this past year, your first year person, you can't expect that person really to sell a million dollars. It's going to be something less. And if you put a quota or a number that's much too high for that person, especially right when they start, what happens is they, they look at your, your organization and what's happening from a marketing standpoint and a lead standpoint and how they're going to self-source and, and, and find business in the marketplace they'll give you 90 to 120 days. They don't see green shoots immediately. They're accepting the next phone call to, to think about what's next for them. JT, you brought up quota, you brought up goals, you brought up expectations, you brought up employees knowing what they need to do. When this podcast comes out, it'll be in the middle of Q1. And we just, the Sassels recently uh, did a survey and the response that has, has come back to the question of, have you been given your quota yet for 2023? 63% have said no. Do you have any thoughts on that? And why is that happening? Yeah. Yeah. I have a, I have a lot of thoughts on that. So um, <laughs> where do we start on that one? So first and foremost, 
uh, every organization, and, and I think I mean every, really knows when they walk into the year what they want to accomplish, at least at the highest level. They might not know the exact number, but use a company that says, look, we want to, as an organization, we think we can hit $2 million in ARR run rate. Like that, that's what we think we can do. We're, we're going to do $2 million and, and, and use that same organization that says, okay, and we're going to have three people on our sales team. And maybe just for easy math, we have another three people within our account management organization. So we really have six people that have to go get the number. So you get into this immediate discussion around, there's two strategies, we can, or th actually three strategies. We can either assign out quotas and numbers that are greater than the number that we need. That's called getting into an over-assigned position, right? So if I need 2 million, I've got three people. I'm giving Jason, Marcus, and Pete, I'm giving them each three, a million dollar quota. So I'm going to sign out $3 million. I only need $2 million, but I'm going to sign out $3 million. You say, well, why would you do that? I want them to overachieve. I want them to be bullish. I want to show them a comp plan that is unbelievable at a $1 million. Nobody thinks they're going to actually hit it, but we're going to get ourselves in a position. So by the way, so if Jason leaves or if he's politely asked to go find his next opportunity, I still have enough to cover my number. That That's position one. That's opportunity one. Opportunity second option is you just say 2 million divided by three. I know it's not perfect math. We're gonna sign that out. Third position, which is the, 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 the more difficult position. We're gonna be realistic about our numbers, but by the way, they don't add up to the number we need. Therefore, I assign it out. Now you're, you're under-assigned. What message does that tell your people? And then if you have investors, good news is we think we can overperform. It's also called selling on a prayer or walking into the year on a prayer. I don't I know how I'm going to do it. Something's got to fall out of the sky, but I'm, but, but that's the plan we're going to go with. Don't, I don't recommend going into the year with that one. I'm coming back to your question, Marcus. And, and so the reason that I think organizations don't get assigned out before the year starts is because they're confused on what, of those three options, which one are they going with? I either have enough people, therefore I'm in a good over-assigned position, based on, also based on history and what the people have done in the previous years. If I have a newer selling group or a less tenured account management group, I have no idea what they can do. I still wanna put a big number out there. Why? Because I want it to look bigger than the number I have to go get. And you get paralyzed. And so therefore you wait to see what your pipelines look like as you get into the middle of Q1 and you start making assessments slash guesses. Well, here's where I'm gonna land in Q1. And if it doesn't look good, what starts happening? I'm gonna make Q1 from a modeling standpoint look light. I'll only assign 10% out in Q1. And then we're gonna really back weight Q3 and Q4. And what does that do? That's it puts all your eggs into the back half of the year. Pete, that's the second budget we were just talking about, right? <laughs> so you got, you got your first budget is done, right? And that gets done sometime mid-January to early February. And then if you don't hit your quarter because you didn't have your quotas all squared away, then you re-forecast mid-year and there's your second budget. Like that's the that's the play. But what, what does that do for culture and <laughs> and recruiting? It's your, your, you say, hey, this is your annual number. Here, let's look. Uh, we talked about a small company. Let's talk about a big one, Salesforce. They just lopped off 8,000. They don't have their quotas out. Because they want to see, well, let's see how we do in the first quarter. Oh, we didn't lop off enough. So here comes another cut. And oh, by the way, here are our quotas again. What It gets to this pay at risk, and we're playing this game of bonuses, and it just pisses people off. Do I have this wrong? Why don't we just pay everybody a salary? It's counter to the entire selling culture, I think, is in, in, in upside and in, in what on-target earnings looks like. I think that that's the main reason. And people want to, anyone in a sales position, and that doesn't have to mean account executive, but someone with some responsibility around uh, either the growth, you know, overall growth of the organization or the even the net growth, which is a big thing that we're working on this year, right? And one of the reasons we, it was important for us to align under one leader account management and the selling organization is to take, take away the thought process of 
when you're in sales, what do you care about? Find new, could be within your customer base, but find something new, work on it, close it, throw it over the fence, keep hunting, move on to the next. And then account management historically takes the mindset of just retain. Forget net growth, just retain. Gross retention. And they don't think about the overall growth of the organization. So what we were really working on is saying, okay, how do we, instead of just creating hunters and farmers, how do we keep the, 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 the groups focused where they're focused, but, get, but really get them focused on the net growth of the organization? So then when you have, and it happens clearly, you have a customer that's struggling for whatever reason. They're unhappy with your product. They're unhappy with the relationship. They're unhappy with results. Whatever they're, one of the competitors sounds better, is doing a better job. Price is different, is offering something that either you can't offer or we didn't know we should be talking about that. Instead of just struggling with an account management function, now what we do is we have, since everybody's focused on net growth, we have sellers bringing a commercial mindset into a retention conversation, which then you know, rising tides, it's going to, it should help lift all boats. JT, I just want to get back to the, the original question. If we know 60 to 70% of the companies out there are not going to have their quotas by the beginning of the year, then why don't companies just change their, uh, make a fiscal year and say, you know what, we're going to do, you know, start in May. Uh, you, well, a little more challenging when you're a publicly traded company. Right to, to to make the shift. So I think there there is a big difference between if you're a you know you know privately held or if you're publicly held. Privately held companies can make those changes. It's not they don't they don't take them lightly. It's not you 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 know you you kind of commit and and decide. You know there's there there are opportunities you know for organizations to realign based on their selling cycle and selling season. So if you know based on you know whatever your product is. You know, budgets are are either have to be, you know, approved and or used up by insert time frame here, and and maybe, you know, the signatures have to you know take place by the end of, um, you know, by the by by middle of the year. As an example, I worked for a very large publicly traded company. They weren't on calendar year. Their 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 year ended, you know, end of June, which is just off. So yeah, Presidents Club takes place you know, at the end of Q3, why did they do that? Because all of budgets were taken care of in that HRIS and HCM world. You know, they all had to be signed, you know, by the end of Q2. I mean, the, the most obvious thing in the world is to spend um, more time uh, focused on the customer and spending time trying to understand what the customer is trying to accomplish. Um, why is it that uh, the different silos within sales have been propagated for so long when that effectively destroys any chance of anyone having any lasting relationship with the customer and the customer's experiences are always being thrown over the fence to somebody else? Um, and because the experience of being employed in one of those roles is generally uh, subpar, um, they leave. And there's a constant new face. So, um, you know, the, the number of times, I mean, I, I heard um, from uh, one of my clients and they work for a very, very large software company that all of us know and love. Um, and uh, they were working on a multi-million dollar deal. And the customer said to the salesperson, I don't trust your organization. And it's because that this whole culture of, engulf and devour um, seems to have grown up and the customers become this forgotten afterthought. Now, um, what we're also seeing is salespeople typically running away from the sound of bad, uh, bad news uh, instead of running towards it, which you seem to be encouraging, which I'm delighted to see. Um, how would you recommend people who have to transition from a revenue at any cost to a profit uh, business model transition and what do they need to do to take care of their people so they don't end up with a mass exodus of good talent? Yeah, so lot, lot to unpack there. And, and, and I agree with you. And I'll start with what you ended with, which is, you know, the, the, the last, you know, three to 12 months, if it's taught, taught us anything, all of the money out in the marketplace and whoever's investing 
is looking for profitability now. It can't be grow at all costs. It can't be just keep putting you know bad money after bad money and look, we'll, we'll figure out how to make money later. It's you have to be profitable. You have to be profitable now, this year. So whatever your business model was last year, more are looking to, to, to figure that piece out. Really driving the relationship and, and considering the customer at the, literally at the center of everything that you do is the only way to make the turn. Because again, if not, you just, you still get stuck with this silo of if I'm in sales, I care about the left book new. I don't care about what happens about, you know, the customer. It doesn't matter to me if they compress, if they were spending $50,000 with us yesterday or $5,000 with us yesterday, if that gets cut in half, you know, uh, uh, you know, at, at next renewal, it doesn't matter to me. So back to by bringing those functions together and ensuring that people have some united goal, they're going to have different goals because they have different functions within the organization. But this is also where incentive alignment, you talked about why shouldn't we just pay everybody a salary? Well, this is where the variable component and the differences between sellers and people that retain or or account uh, you know managers, you know, the recommendation is, understand what percentage of their variable or actually say what percentage of their overall earnings you know is is healthy enough to help change behavior maybe that's as 20 percent of their variable or 20 percent of what they could earn overall is that interesting enough for if jason's in account management and pete was in sales and say hey by the way good news 20 percent or 25 percent of your overall earnings is now based on the net growth of the company or the portfolio, if you're, you know, within a vertical or, or if you're within a pod and therefore you are now motivated or incented to work on some of those tougher conversations to help not just keep that, that customer and that revenue, but actually figure out how to grow that. And then you can, then that, what that does is it then drives your deal strategy or your client strategy, not always about just expanding it, but it's literally around, are we delivering value? And are we even communicating in the right way and paying attention to the customer? Well, one thing I would definitely urge uh, listeners to do is check out a book by a guy called Alfie Cohn, K-O-H-N. I had him on my podcast. Uh, really fascinating. Um, the research that he did, meta studies on compensation and rewards in schools and in sales and various others. And what they found was where um, you turn uh, play into work, you end up decreasing productivity and it's counterproductive. And most comp plans uh, drive negative unintended consequences. So I think this is an area that we should definitely explore in future uh, episodes um, because um, I'd be really curious uh, to see how much uh, fake uh, or what's it, myth, myth, and a misunderstanding uh, is around what actually drives real behavior uh, versus uh, what the received wisdom is. Because I suspect a lot of it is just total crap. We talk about you know, this high level concepts around um, quota assignment when quotas come out and how you pay people and reps should care about customers and the AE should care about what the, or the, you know, the customer folks should care about what the reps are bringing in. So how do you build a team that, that thinks in that way and that, and that cares in that way, right? Because it's one thing just to say, Hey, new business AE, you've got to care about how long somebody's a customer. And then it's a totally another thing to actually hire that person who does have those behaviors and want to, you know, want to build in that way. So how do you find a team like that? And, and what are your kind of strategies for that? Yeah. I, so Jason, I, I would say it's not finding the team, it's developing the team. And again, I'll use the smaller organization, I think, as the example, because I think it's a, mm -hmm. for, for, for some reason, I think it's a bigger challenge or it's a, it's a, it's a bigger lift for the, you know, the founder, the entrepreneur to be comfortable, let's call it what it is, sharing what's going on with the business. Mm -hmm. Because every day could be the last day. If that next yeah. sale, yeah. the, the <laughs> big customer goes right. like, doesn't matter how great your idea is, doesn't matter how great your technology is. If the lights don't stay on, then that's it. Um, yes. And I think I think founders, um, you know, potentially fall into a trap of 
they're just, they're not transparent. They're not really sharing what's happening within the organization. In their minds, they're doing the right thing because they probably don't want to really get anybody that nervous and scared as the company is, is well, hopefully it's growing or if it's struggling, it is what it is. But I, I think it starts with, you know, leadership teams. It's not always just on, uh, on, on whoever's at, at the head of that hierarchy, but with leadership teams, you know, spending time, bringing people along for the ride, right? So it's, it's, it's literally sharing what are the numbers? How, like, how are we doing against plan? This is what we're seeing from a, a, a retention or a churn standpoint. It's either good or it's bad. If it's not good, we're going to put a lot of focus into this area. By the way, by doing that, right, these are the results that we're going to be going to expect. And, and if and if you're not in emotion as a, an organization, especially some smaller organizations aren't, um, that's the opportunity to then get people to lean in. And, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about pushing to the middle and having teams and leaderships manage from the middle. What does that mean? It means yeah. I'm not siloed, just caring about whatever I have happening and or my comp plan or what I'm going to get or my accolades or the next thing on Slack that goes out with some funny emoji. It's it's literally how do we lift the entire organization and get people to actually care about our own success. So I think I think that's the piece. It's transparency. Here's where we're at. Here's where we're trying to get to. Here are the challenges. And then here's what each group needs to work on. And it needs to work in unison, kind of back to that racy and who's doing what and when. Yeah, I love that idea of the you, you were talking about the racy uh, earlier. It reminds me just similar concept in the entrepreneurial operating system, right? That someone owns a department or decision or outcome, and it's not two people who own it. It's one person who owns it. And then there are a number of people involved in that in that project. But I, I just love that idea that you would do that at, at such a level. I mean, Harvard's not a small company, so it's nice that you do that at that at, at a larger organization because it feels like a, that's a good thing for a smaller company. It's also a good thing for a bigger company, right? Some you got to know who's responsible for for a project for an area. Well, and it's and it's also the understanding and agreement that it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, this is danger. It's like it's like anything else. Well, I'm gonna we're gonna try this, you know, for a little while, and and let's see if it if it takes hold. It, you need to commit to it and you have to believe just over time, this is going to, there's going to be change. It's yeah. going to be positive change. And then, and then, and Pete, I think back to one of your questions, you know, everyone won't stay on for that ride because as organizations develop, they change, they evolve. Well, then you start saying, and again, growing up, uh, my, my, these last three and a half years for me was a, uh, you know, heavy acquisition world. You know, so we we made six acquisitions through the pandemic, and when you do that, you're bringing you know new talented people in, new cool technology. You know, is it all integrated on day one? No, that's that's the the job of the the you know the parent company to say, okay, how are we going to pull all this together? You know, keep all the the the, the best parts of those organizations. That's people, process, and and technology, and then you know maybe park park some of the other things. And then work through with those same that that same talent. How do we come out on the other side, and then truly deliver this value? Because you have to monetize the value, right? You how do I deliver the value now to the most important person in the conversation, which is always the customer? Yeah, and you lose yeah. focus of that. Well, and and I think in my impression of I mean you're 100 right that not everybody's around for the ride the whole time. And my impression of why that's not a better, why people are not really adjusted there is because people are basically scared because again, go back to transparency. Like it's really it's challenging to have this conversation, but Pete, I always go back, always go back to when you and I worked together uh, at career builder. And I thought that organization had this amazing sense of transparency and understanding about how you measure people's um, work and whether they're the right person in the right job or whether they should move on and really have that conversation openly. Because when you can do that, then these these pieces about the culture and caring about the customer and building the right organization begin to take care of themselves or at least you said the magic a little bit word. easier. You, 
you said the magic word culture when you do these acquisitions you're taking a blender and you're putting them all in one and so how do you do that jt how do you you have these acquisitions and now everybody has to you know file in, in in order and in line how do you keep the culture consistent if if someone can figure that out and give me the playbook on it, that would be um, that would be tremendous. Um, look, we I have we, some magic beans for you. Send them over after the hundredth time of trying. Maybe we'll get it right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I you know, look, we, we I think you know, Harbor and in, in our organization, we've done an excellent job at, at uh, bringing these organizations together. And then excellent equals, you go bump in the night every single night, working on um, ensuring that, again, back to ensuring people know where you're going. And look, when, when, when investors, right, when the, and the people with all the money decide they have a vision, which is terrific, and by the way, that, that, that's our bosses, they have a vision. They tell you what their vision is, and they go apply, you know, money in the market and say, "Look, we've got all these. We've got these different companies. Either they're, you know, perfect fits with what you do today, or they're, you know, potentially ancillary, and or you know, we think we can, you know, find a different customer base, you know, and and we can then cross sell what what you're doing today into a different buyer or a different persona, you know, in in where they've sold. What happens when you do that? is that the person that the acquiring company and the acquiring employees always think this is terrific. This is great. We're growing. We've got more people coming in. Wait till I get with Pete and Jason and tell them how unbelievable this is. Well, what do Pete and Jason say when they get acquired? Well, you don't look like or sound like or do or, or operate anything like what the cool company or the cool atmosphere or the cool yeah. culture that I came from. In fact, you're telling me to do something completely different. And, and it, in, in reality, it's really not that different. It just sounds different. And there's different protocols and different process and different rules, or there are no rules and there's no protocols. And you're trying to literally, you get that analogy of, let, no, we're, we're actually flying the plane in the middle of us trying to build it. Values and mission statements should guide a company. Uh... No, I think, well, Pete, I think you said, something important too which is those things can guide an organization they can guide people the right way but you know you you have to connect with people and so if we if we're getting acquired and somehow we believe we're getting screwed then that's a leadership issue where you're like well we didn't really explain or weren't transparent about the value that is there because nobody does something just to do it there's value in a place and so you got to communicate that and those values can help guide it but they don't just because you have them doesn't mean that people, any people, are going to believe in them or follow those things. You got to work on it. Like again, Pete. I mean, our so that stuff reviews, we slap up in the lunchroom, we that doesn't mean anything. It's no, it's how I think you it, I think it can day. mean a lot, right? It's how you can mean a lot. It can mean a lot, right? So I mean, when we were when we were doing reviews back when we were a career builder, those reviews were based on those values. Right. And so that was one way in that organization that we said, hey, this is important enough that your evaluation is based on how well you live up to these up to these values, because we believe that this is the best way to run the business. Right. I don't know, JT, if, if, if that's how you handle it. Well, are companies best. doing reviews anymore? That's kind of where I'm coming from. Yeah, they I mean, that's right. there's, anymore, another, so it's like... there's another way to figure that out. Right. How do you well, get that? How do you drill that down into the business then? I think there's another piece which we have to build into this as we start looking at the complexity of this problem, uh, which is uh, the KPIs. KPIs, by and large, are backward-looking. They're lagging indicators. Um, And uh, OKRs and various others uh, at least are forward-looking. If we're looking at objectives, and um, that's the hill, uh, that's the the mission, the vision of the investors. Um, and uh, we as management and leadership have to execute that vision. Um, now, the problem is that if everyone has different targets, different objectives, their KPIs are, uh, set them competing with one another um, and uh, focusing backwards on stuff that doesn't really matter and doesn't move you forward. Uh, and most of the uh, sales and management and leadership KPIs and not really focused on advancing the business or advancing the sale or advancing the customer. You guys are touching on a, a number of, 
they, they all can take a life of their own. But I think Pete, back to your back to your question on how do you bring in other people, other cultures, other logos, other organizations, and ultimately, how do you bring them along for the ride and get them excited? And 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 I think there's I think it's a combination of a few things that we talked about here. I think it's it's number one. It's how do you, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, here's a real corporate term. It's really effective cascading from vision, mission, what, do, oversimplify it. What do we care about? What are we focused on? What are we going to go do? And then how do you, because it always sounds great at the ELT level, at, at any executive table, it all sounds terrific when you whiteboard it, if that happens anymore, or Zoom board it. And, and, and you go through all this and you say, well, that's what we're going to go work on. And then somehow, as soon as it gets down to the field or does not, and or if somebody's coming new into the organization, whether they've been there for one day or they've been there for 10 years, they don't connect. They can't connect. Here's what's happening literally today to here's where we're going. Or they heard it at a town hall if you if you host those, right? And you share some information, then you never talk about it again. It's kind of back to the, you know, you there there is no closing that loop. There is no feedback loop. There's no... Um, there, 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 there's no, there, the environment's not designed for input from the most important people within the organization, which is everyone that's actually doing the work, not just the people with the fancy titles. So it's like, how do you get back to push the middle? How do you get the information and then have a team that's committed to go act on that information? So I think that, how do you do it? Well, I think that's how you do it. Well, JT, you you brought up fancy titles. Let's talk about uh, CRO, Chief Revenue Officer. When does a company bring one on board and what do they do? Is it magically revenue appears? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is a fancy title. Um, I think his, you know, what, what, what's happened is people find themselves either with a career and or their elevator promoted into that title. They were either a super strong sales leader and, and, and really that's their background or, you know, they were their strength and their background, the experience is in, you know, net growth of a customer base, right. And, and the account management and they, and look, they're, com they're commercial enough. You know, I think you're, you know, anyone with, with, with that title is probably going to be a little more weighted on one side, you know, to pick your side, you're either, you're either stronger on the sales side or you're, or you're stronger on the account management side. And I think the best, you know, CROs out there, um, have done a very good job at finding, the, you know, the strength and the best uh, number two to whoever they are. If if if, if my background and, and experience, you know, wasn't on the selling side, I really need a, a strong SVP or VP of sales. That's really going to understand, Marcus. Back to your point, how do I how how, how do I how do I motivate, inspire? How do I build a strong team? But then also, am I am I strong from a data standpoint? Am I strong? establishing KPIs, establishing goals, really, um, you know, outlining, you know, the game plan and then making sure that I'm inspecting it, et cetera. Same thing. If, if your strength as a CRO is on the selling side, right. You understand business development, establishing an ICP, you know, what, what segmentation, you know, is appropriate. What's our, what's, what's our best opportunity to, 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 to book new and to find new. Well, your, your strength may not be on QBRs, you know, communication, you know, fighting fires, you know, and, 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 and writing notes that nobody likes, you know, to write, to make sure that, you know, you can settle, settle, you know, you know, uh, some tough situation down. So you're going to need to find someone and trust that person as, as your strong second. As we uh, get these businesses transitioning from revenue at any cost to uh, profit, um, how do you sell that message to the investors so that they give the leadership and the management the breathing space that they need to turn the ship. Because they're going to end up in the same place if they allow them to focus on the medium to long-term pipeline and uh, focus on fewer accounts, uh, do a better job of trying to understand them, align with them, and so on. Um, but the problem is that getting them to let go of the main line of um, you know, the monthly uh, or uh, weekly uh, you know, stats reports um, and then uh, the valuation number, um, how do we get them to move in the right direction so that they give people like you the chance that you need in order to turn the ship? Yeah, Marcus, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to watch the language here, but I don't know that I'm telling the investors on what they're going to do. 
and what they should do. I think that starts with hopefully there's a really strong partnership. What you what you want with any investor group, and I've been you know around private equity and in the VC world for for some time now. What you want is it to feel like it's one leadership team, one one mission, one set of goals. We're in this together. Obviously, everyone's after growth. Sometimes it's growth at, at any cost, but again, economic conditions help <laughs> leadership teams understand it. it sometimes that's that can't be the case. So I think it's that that team, it's actually the investing group. It's the it's the owners helping the leadership team understand this is our most likely path over whatever the period of time is, right? So there's hold periods, as we all know, and they people get in because they are looking for a return. Sometimes they they think there's going to be a quick return. Other times they say, "Look, we're in no hurry. You know, we we think whatever the industry is has legs, and and um, you know, a lot's going to happen over the next three to five years. We just want to put ourselves in the best position." So it's this age-old debate, but you need to land on what's first because it can't be both. So are you top line focused or are you bottom line focused? The answer can't be both. Yeah, you can try to say both. You can, it cannot be both though. So there is a lead course, no matter what happens, doesn't mean you're ignoring the other one, but you will manage the business differently. You will manage your expenses differently. You'll manage the type of people you bring on differently based on whatever's most important at that time. But JT, you just said we're in this together. We're really not in this together because let's just throw over a sign in there. Whatever the board gives the CEO gets passed to the CRO, to to the sales manager and oversign, 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 and then you got the poor schlub at the at the bottom of the uh, upside down yeah. triangle that says ten million dollar quota. I got a quota <laughs> that I can't never hit. I'm out of here. How do we fix that? Why do we? What should a good oversign be, and why do we have an oversign if we're in this together? Pete's a lot to unpack there. So I, I I'd love to comment on all of it. So the the answer. Yeah, I, I, ideally, you would want to be able to say, I, I want to, you know, have somewhere between 40 and 50% over assignment. That's what I want. You know, what you say, well, what, well, why? Well, because I'm going to expect at least 30% of people to leave. Now they're either politely asked to leave and or they decide that they're, you know, have something more fruitful elsewhere. They don't see the upside. They're not seeing success. And then you have the people that are remaining. The reality is, you know, they all don't hit their number because you've assigned out probably too much, right? And so success equals, well, that person was 80% of their number. And then at the end of the year, you say, hey, good good news. 80% actually felt like 100%. You're my best person, Pete. And I'm going to build something that's going to make a lot more sense for you next year. And then you hope that person stays. Is that the right strategy? That's historically what happens. Right, right, right. It, can, it does. Can, can you, yeah, can you convince or change the team's impression of how you should either assign out exactly on the number and or how much you should oversign? I think the answer is whoever that leader is, you're managing to whatever the growth number is. You will get a number to your point. It's your, it's your decision with the people you have based on real what the, whatever's realistic somewhere between realistic and optimistic i i just don't that pendulum can't swing too far on the optimistic side especially if there's no data and no history that's going to tell you they can go get that but it also probably isn't just set squarely on the number why because something's going to happen either that you that you're already considering or you have no idea it's coming because you can't see it well if the only person that gets affected let's just say you have attrition because that's what you're trying to correct it should be a company-wide problem, not just the person at the bottom of the triangle. That's all that I'm saying, because I don't care if there's attrition. I got it budgeted in. So what? And that's that's what I think that companies have to take a look at in the future. I, I, I recognize that this isn't your management style, but what you've just described uh, smacks to me of uh, laziness uh, and incompetence. If people cannot... Um, uh, get more than a, um, you know, a, a variance of 10 or 15, maybe 20% of the top end, um, then that tells me that they're just plucking numbers from the sky uh, and they're slapping the problem downstream uh, uh, and dumping it on the least experienced and least equipped people. 
um, and creating massive amounts of stress unnecessarily uh, and creating uh, the conditions where people turn over and are less productive, give less uh, um, discretionary effort and feel less engaged. So they're less profitable. All the evidence is very clearly pointing to the fact that if you treat your people well uh, and you communicate with clarity and you don't leave them trying to wonder whether their job is going to be there in the following day uh, or whether they're going to just get a bawling out from their boss uh, for not hitting a demo target. Uh, who gives a damn about demos? What I care about is did the money come into the account? And once we've delivered it, uh, was the customer satisfied enough to come back and renew and bring his wealthy friends? Those are more interesting metrics if you're trying to run a business. But JT, you, we just dumped like a, a bunch of we just dumped a bunch of crap on top of your head. How does Harvard? How does Harvard's technology pick one of the things we threw at you? How does your technology help deal with some of the stuff we threw at you? I think for Harvard and how we the, the, the way that we're approaching our market segment and the people that uh, are interested in figuring out, you know, a better talent decision process. And, and, and I'll use for an example and um, you know, organizations that that's that tell us, look, here's the pain point within my organization. We need to hire people quickly or faster. Like we just, yes, quality is super important, but here's the reality. We have too many unfilled vacancies process takes too long. I'm spending much too much time on manual tasks, right? I have high turnover, by the way, that's impacting. And I've got a terrible employer brand. Like look at my glass, look at what they're saying about me on Glassdoor. I don't, I don't like any of that information. And therefore I'm having problems everywhere. What we try to do as an organization is then say, okay, so we're, we're, we need to figure out how to make this a more consistent and scalable and repeatable talent selection process. Like that, that, that's number one, by the way, it needs to be measurable. Like people are looking for data, and ROI, they're 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 also trying to figure out how do I reduce my administrative overhead, and so the, and then you start tying it back to okay, so actually the required capability, it may be an assessment solution that you're looking for. You probably need some type of automation that's attached to this. You're you're focused on the candidate experience, but you also need integration, right? So this can't act, this can't operate in a silo, um, and, and forget about whatever ATS that you're working on because that's that's doing some of the work but it's probably not doing you know all the work and the things that you're looking for and and then ultimately harbor uh, and, and our team comes in and says look we can do this in a predictive and in an unbiased way with unbiased science we've we have a breadth of assessments um and by the way we we have an unmatched candidate experience um and of course integration you know is table stakes and and we have that as well so we we really work on Taking the, the the customer, whether it's an existing customer or it's someone in the prospective market, we try to take them along and, and think about it from their buyer seat and their buyer journey and kind of cut out all the nonsense of this is the feature, this is the benefit, right? It's back to like feature benefit selling. Here's why we think we're going to win. Look at my technology, Marcus, you said, here's the demo. You know, tell me if you think this is cool. You can change and you can win the hearts and minds of your customer in the market when you actually sit on the same side of the table. And, and if we're a terrific fit, that's great. If it seems like it's broken in the middle, that's okay too. Stay where you are. We'll see you at the next turn. What is the difference between corporate marketing and consumer marketing? And how do some companies get that screwed up when they, when they're asked how to explain what they do? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I think of it in, in terms of who, who the company is is selling to, right? So consumer marketing would be I'm I'm selling to somebody who's going individually. They're going into a store or buying from someone directly. Um, more corporate marketing. My customer is another business, and that's the way I think of it. That's how I've segmented it in my in my career in my life. Um, how they get it wrong. Uh, I, you know, I think one of the ways you get it wrong as a corporate marketer is if you never think about the end user. So in, in JT's example uh, with Harbor, the end user is the candidate and the corporate brand to me, it should be all about what's that candidate experience like? Is that person going to enjoy this? They may know or not know that Harbor is running this process. But 
did they enjoy that process? Or for like me today, I think a lot about the e-commerce shopper. Can the e-commerce shopper get what they want? Because if they can, then the site they're using, the company they're buying from, they'll go back. They'll continue to buy. And so to me, that's that that's that corporate brand, right? How do we express to our to other corporations what's important? But if I'm selling, you know, chocolate, I mean, honestly, I know in the phone book is the name of everybody who eats chocolate and I can market to them and I can put my chocolate in different locations and, you know, some, that's all more consumer marketing to me. And there's an enormous amount of science behind that. Um, it's just two, two kind of different ways of communicating to people, I think. And then JT, what are you correcting? What is your company correcting on that? Yeah. So, so Jason, is there a chocolate side hustle? I heard a couple of references or something. Um, yeah, there is, there isn't today, but that doesn't mean there who, won't be. Who knows? Right. Yeah. So future, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Pete, so, so branding, I don't think anybody's going to debate or challenge that branding is not vital to any organization, but from my seat, there is a big difference between a consumer brand and your employer brand. Now they need to align with each other because the, the I think that's the problem. So the, the company's consumer brand for lack of a better way of putting it, to me, that's like their their public identity. I, I think about, I'll, I'll move from chocolate to, you know, Netflix and Starbucks and Amazon. Like, you know who that, what that brand is. You know who they are. When you think of a great company, I think of companies like that. Forget financial results, but that, you know, you think of, you think of that they're pretty good companies. On the employer brand side, it's, it's more likely that it's lesser known compared to their consumer brand. Um, you know, I, I look at employer brand as that that's really, it, it almost needs to be designed as that's how you're going to bring other good talent or strong talent into your organization. Think of it like an, an employee referral. Do you have a, do you, do you, does your organization drive strong, you know, internal and employee refer, referrals? If the answer is yes, you probably have a strong employer brand. If not, why would they? Why would I even talk to my network or anybody that I that I have a connection with to come work for a company if I'm not even impressed or I don't in, enjoy being there? So I think that consumer brand can ultimately be very broad, and then the the employment brand ends up being like this really targeted, you know, message. Hopefully that resonates, you know, specifically, um, you know, hopefully into others that are going to find back to your mission statement and your company values that are interesting. You know, what's it, what I, I, something that I'm hearing in this conversation specifically is all of, we've used the word alignment a lot. And there, there, Marcus, you talked about um, having, having leadership teams that are competent or not. And we talked about transparency. You know, all the, all the items that we talked about all deal with do you have a, a board, a leadership team? that is committed to, to building alignment and being transparent. Because if you build alignment and be transparent, you'll have, you'll have a corporate brand that is remarkable. If you are aligned and are transparent, you, you probably won't have the in-depth over-assignment conversation. You'll have a, a much better understood organization. If you, if you have alignment and transparency, a rep will understand the relationship of the customer the the prospect that they want to bring in to the to the revenue of the organization and the board will understand hey what this is why profit's important as opposed to top line revenue and like i just every everything we've talked about to me goes back to that alignment transparency from the leadership teams incredibly important yep jim tremarco chief revenue officer at harvard Thank you for dealing with the sassholes today. <laughs> Thanks, JT. It's great. It's a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, good stuff. Fun editing. Marcus Kauke, thank you. <laughs> Joining us from across the pond. It's my pleasure, as always. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. 
Week 23, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week 4, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks 5 to 7, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week 8, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics, build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brett and say Big Pete sent you.